Hey guys, my name is Lisa M. Waring, and this is Real Talk, a podcast where I discuss movies and TV shows more extensively and how art imitates life, imitates art. Today we are going to be discussing the Netflix movie, They Cloned Tyrone. This is a sci-fi mystery drama comedy, and it has a lot to say. I'll cover what I can. Spoilers ahead. Let's get into it. We open up with 70s movies. Even the credits are in the style of the 70s. The environment. We've got Kellogg's. You've got a bunch of black men in front of like a food mart. They're deep in conversation. You've got a guy hustling, selling CDs. People coming in and out of the store. And pause i want to point out right now that there is literally an ad in the background uh it's got a white guy with a you know big smiling face and he is holding a soda can and the brand of the soda is some more like some more but you know s-o-m-a-a-h some more some more <laughs> i think i'm saying it right the tagline in the commercial says keep them smiling so let's think about it keep them smiling keep them busy keep them hooked there are gems like this all over the movie i don't have time to go over all of them but just so you guys understand what we're getting into we're introduced to a young boy junebug who is riding around the neighborhood on his bike uh, he's looking for fontaine the local drug dealer fontaine is played by none other than john boyega who did such a good job in this film, you probably wouldn't recognize him. Junebug serves as a lookout for Fontaine. And Fontaine brings him into, you know, has him get into his Cadillac and start riding around. And Junebug starts telling him about SpongeBob and Squidward. Um, okay. We're in the 70s, but we're not. Because we're talking about SpongeBob. Something's a little off. Noted. Junebug points out another drug dealer on Fontaine's turf. And Fontaine ain't having that. So he whips his car around, his Cadillac, and hits the other drug dealer, breaking his leg. He doesn't kill him, he just breaks his leg. And what's funny is, in the credits, this guy is, his name is Crutches. We know why he's called that now. Fontaine tells him, yo, find some other corner, get out of my place. Crutches says... Watch when Isaac finds out. Fontaine ain't worried about no Isaac. Maybe he should be. Fontaine pays Junebug his snitching money, tells him to go on home. And Fontaine then drives to a liquor store, buys a 40 ounce and a scratch off. He doesn't win. When Fontaine leaves the liquor store, he passes by Frog, a homeless guy sitting outside. He pours him a little cup of the 40, the Henny, whatever, into his cup and carries on his way. Fontaine gets home. The house is a bit run down, not a lot of sunlight coming through. He heads to the kitchen and we see on the fridge that there's like a, a funeral program of a little boy named Ronald, his homegoing service. Fontaine grabs some food out there. He heads down the hallway and knocks on his mother's door, offering her some food. We hear a yell out from inside. I'm good, baby, already, you know, I had some fish fry. Later, Fontaine gets a delivery from one of his boys, Big Moss. This dude is funny. He's collected, you know, the, the money from around the area and brings it to him in like a pizza box. When Fontaine opens it, it's looking a bit light. Like, hold on, who's holding out? 
Big Moss tells him that he can't get a hold of Slick Charles. So Slick Charles owes some money. Slick Charles is like a low rent pimp who runs his operation out of a motel. We get to see who Slick Charles is. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx had me rolling through this whole movie. He was definitely channeling his living color roots. All his lines were hilarious. So we see him arguing with one of his uh, flowers, as he calls them, named Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo was telling him how one of the Johns was making some very freaky requests and she just wasn't having it. She's about to quit. She's headed to Memphis. She's going to get into cryptocurrency. Again, guys, they are all dressed head to toe in 70s. The, the, they got shag carpets in that motel. Nothing but shades of beige and mustard yellow and earthy browns. What year is this? Yo-Yo dips out and Fontaine pays Slick Charles a visit and demands his money. Slick Charles is smart enough not to argue with the man who got guns. So Fontaine heads back to his car. He got his money. He's out. Remember crutches from earlier talking about Isaac? Well, guess what? They paid him a visit and about six or seven shots later, let's just say Fontaine ain't moving no more. Fade to black. Next thing we know, Fontaine pops back up Wixipin's bed. He just goes about his business. Going to the liquor store, grabbing a 40, buying a scratch off, pouring out a little bit of uh, liquor in the cup for Frog. When he walks out of the store, he sees a man in the distance, like, stumbling. Um, we don't know who this person is. And then all of a sudden, a big black SUV just pulls up and snatches him and drives off. And Fontaine's like, hmm, all right. Because I guess that kind of thing happens every day. Fontaine goes home, knocks on his mother's door, asks her if she's hungry, she yells back, I'm watching my stories, you know, I'm good. So he sits on the couch, he's chilling, and then he sees the pizza box. Remember the pizza box that had the money in it from the day before? And he remembers, I don't have all my money. He goes back to visit Slick again, and Slick freaks out. Nah, he's like, nah, man, you dead, you dead. How you come back? I am also confused, Slick. Let's find out together. Slick tells Fontaine, no, they shot you. You, I saw it. You were dead. Fontaine, he's not believing. Like, I'm standing right here. Ain't no holes in me. Slick tells him, now, go see Yo-Yo. She'll confirm what I'm telling you. You were dead. So they go, they visit Yo-Yo. And Yo-Yo's like, yes, I saw your body. And some van came and scooped up your body and booked it. And she tells him that she has seen this van. It's more like a black SUV. And she tells him that she's seen this truck around the neighborhood and she knows where to find it. Fontaine has Slick and Yo-Yo take him to the house where they believe the truck is located. On the way there, Fontaine turns on the radio and this like slow song comes on. But Slick is complaining about, you know, oh no man, just, I don't like the song. Every time it comes on, it makes me sleepy. And then all three of them feel kind of sleepy. So Fontaine shuts off the music and they're fine. I wonder if that will be brought up later for some random reason. They find the truck parked right outside the house and they go inside. The place is empty. No furniture, nothing. So they start searching the rooms. And then they come across 
literally a room that has something of a break room in it. Lockers, bulletin boards, a fridge. They go to another room and this one has a closet with an elevator in it. An elevator? Fontaine and Yo-Yo get on the elevator. But Slick has the only rational response out of the three of them in this situation. He responds the way you're supposed to respond. And he had one of my favorite lines in the movie. He says, an elevator in a trap house? Don't that get your spotty senses tingling? Yeah, Slick. Slick decides to join them. And the three of them ride down the elevator. As they reach the bottom, they hear Michael Jackson's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough playing on the some kind of radio. And there is a lab tech, a white guy with an afro dancing and singing. I'm mentioning his race for a reason. It will be important later. So Fontaine grabs the dude and starts questioning him while Slick and Yo-Yo check out the area. They check out the little lab space. Like, what's going on? And Yo-Yo puts on some glass, some goggles. She's mixing and playing around with chemicals and glass beakers and tubes. While Slick notices a white powdery substance. And he uh, samples. Realizes, oh. This isn't cocaine, but it don't taste half bad. Immediately, <laughs> almost immediately, he starts spasm, <laughs> letting out giggles. I think he's having a reaction. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fontaine is questioning the lab tech, like, what's going on? You know, threatening. And the lab tech says, we're everywhere. Excuse me, sir. Who is we and how many is we? Me and Fontaine need answers. So Fontaine has Slick hold the lab tech at gunpoint while he now goes and investigates. And Slick is still spasming and letting out little giggles. It's kind of giddy. Yo-Yo's mixing chemicals and she accidentally drops it and breaks it, which (laughs) shakes Slick and he accidentally shoots and kills the lab tech. Whoops. They start freaking out, but Fontaine has bigger problems. He shows them what he found, a body bag with what appears to be someone who looks exactly like him shot full of holes. They book it out of there. That's right. You run first and ask questions later. They go back to Yo-Yo's house and chill in her room. But let's just talk about her room for a second. Yo-Yo is a grown woman, but her room is like a time capsule. There are trophies, certificates, posters and stacks of Nancy Drew books all around. It's the room of like a teenager in the 70s. Fontaine and Slick are trying to, are are tripping out, like wrapping their heads around, like what just happened? What did we just see? And Yo-Yo comes through, grabs one of her Nancy Drew books and says, yo, this is the kind of stuff that would happen to Nancy Drew all the time. Something's going on. We got to investigate what's going on. They decide to sleep on it. In the morning, Fontaine has left. He took his boys, his crew, and went back to that trap house. Except it's a regular house now. There's furniture. There's belong personal belongings in there. It looks lived in. The break room is gone. The elevator closet is gone. What is happening? So Fontaine goes back to Slick and Yo-Yo and tells them what's up. While they're trying to figure out their next step, a commercial comes on the TV for Hotbox, a fried chicken restaurant. Slick tells him, uh, a pimp's blood sugar is getting kind of low. 
let's think and eat. I feel like I resonate with Slick a lot in this film. They sit down and start eating the chicken and they just start talking and laughing at the predicament. Even hard ass Fontaine starts laughing. And Slick's like, man, I have never seen Fontaine laugh. <laughs> I have never seen Fontaine laugh. Wait, I have never seen Fontaine laugh. And it starts to dawn on him. And he looks around and he sees in the restaurant nothing but black people laughing and eating chicken. I know people get happy when they're eating, but this is a creepy level of happy. Slick realizes it's the chicken. And he slaps the chicken out of their hands, which, if I'm being honest, we would have to fight. Okay? Nobody's knocking no food out my hand. I know you're trying to save me, but my first instinct reaction is to fight. Slick tells him that white powder he tried last night, it, the way it made him feel is how he's feeling right now. And giddy and laughing, he's like, yo, they put it in the chicken. It's in the chicken. And they look over and they realize the manager of Hotbox is a white guy with an afro. They need to get some answers. Yo-Yo works her feminine charm and gets inside the manager's office. She starts snooping around. She finds a tape recorder of the manager's voice where he's documenting the reaction of the test subjects eating the chicken. And if that's not bad enough, she sees that there's a wall of security cameras documenting not just the restaurant, it's recording other places inside the whole area, including the strip club. The three of them get out of there fast. You know, I must say, I truly admire how efficient these three are about getting out of places. It's a true talent. So they get back to the car and they see right delivery van that's dropping more boxes of chicken off to the restaurant. And they decide to follow the van and see where it goes next. The van heads to a hair salon and the driver takes some boxes inside. The trio agrees to split up. Fontaine and Yo-Yo go inside the salon and Slick goes inside the van to check out what's happening. When they get inside the salon, we see that the delivery guy is restocking the shelves with boxes of perm. And the slogan on the box is, straighter is greater. Personally, I believe you should wear your hair the way you want to. I just don't like when it's insinuated that Wearing your hair natural isn't good enough. But I digress. Let's move on. Now, let me be clear. It's a black salon. So everyone in there, stylists, the clients, they're all black. And we see one of the clients in the chair. She's getting her hair done. The stylist is adding the perm. And the client, she's complaining about her job in the school system and how, you know, the lack of funding, they don't have supplies. They got to do something about it. The more the stylist starts massaging her head in with the perm, the more she starts to rethink what she says and concludes, you know what? I'm just tripping. Sounds to me like the perm is making them docile. Should I say it? Yeah, I'll say it. There's been research and studies that show the harmful chemicals in relaxers seep through the skin and cause damage. They've been linked to life-threatening ailments, fibroids, cancer. They still don't know 
all the ways that it can affect the brain. Wear your hair how you want. Just be careful what you're putting on it. End of TED Talk. Next. So we see Isaac and his goons walk through the door with barber capes on. They must be getting their hair cut next door. You remember Isaac, the one who shot Fontaine. Yeah, that guy. It's a tense standoff between them. Meanwhile, Jamie Foxx is kind of stuck in the back of the van and the delivery guys get in and drive off. Isaac basically tells Fontaine, you better keep your head on a swivel. And he motions under his cape, which <laughs> it kind of looks like he was playing with his other gun. And everyone started looking at him crazy. So he was like, and moved the cape to show his full gun. Everyone had great comedic timing in this. Fontaine and Yo-Yo get out of there, but they don't know where the van went. They hop in the car. Yo-Yo tries to call Slick on his cell phone. Yes, there are cell phones in an area that's heavily 70s influenced and established. It's both the 70s and 2010s, guys. We are in the multiverse at this point. Yo-Yo is in the car. She brought one of the boxes of perms with her and she reads it. Straighter is greater. And when she says at that time, it clicks for Fontaine. And he remembers he heard it before. When Fontaine pours some liquor in Frog's cup, he tells him straighter is greater. So they go up to the liquor store where Frog is chilling outside and they start questioning him. But Frog, you know, he speaks in riddles. Like he's not all the way there, apparently, but he is communicating through riddles. And Yo-Yo figures out what he's trying to tell them they need to go to church so they go head to the church they see the van the same van parked outside they pick the lock free slick who tells them all he saw in the van was boxes of grape juice and a government key card so they head into the church and service is going on and as a matter of fact they had just taken communion and it was the same grape juice they've drunk the kool-aid interesting part is that the preacher starts talking and the things he's saying like he's saying oh don't worry about paying your bills don't worry if you're late on your car don't worry if you lost a family member to gun violence just trust all you need to do is trust if you're lost just trust music starts playing and the choir is going in and everyone's repeating the words trust 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 who sir i have not heard a mention of god jesus or the holy ghost what you talking about willis then the music like takes the shift like this chord and the members start uh rubbing up on each other and some of them are kind twerking slick looks around and says uh i ain't been to church in a while but uh something ain't right agreed slick agreed Let's take a moment here to, to, to really think about what's happening. So we've seen this van deliver mood-altering, mind-altering products to a chicken restaurant, a salon, and a church, all in urban areas. Are we catching on yet? They wait until everyone leaves, and they check around the pulpit, and they find a key slot. It's another elevator. Here we go again. The elevator takes them to an underground facility all my conspiracy theorists this is your time to shine they find some suits that disguise them and they walk around and they realize through like you know diagrams that this place is it's as big as the neighborhood 
And there's nothing but white men in lab coats just walking around. They see padded rooms with black people who are being tested on, who are being monitored. There's even a room where there's two black men fighting and over the loudspeaker, they're playing hardcore rap music. Then they switch the song, Mild Gentle Melody. The two guys start hugging. Holy crap, they've succeeded in mind control. Fontaine, Slick, and Yo-Yo find another lab room. This one's bigger. And it is full Full of of clones. But clones of specific people. Like Fontaine, the preacher. Even Slick is a clone. The pimp is a clone. But there are no clones of Yo-Yo. Curious. These three do what they do best. Get the heck out of there. They find an exit that leads them into the dressing room at the strip club. This place is one connected maze and they're the mice trapped in it. They start walking through the club. Every, you know, every, it's full of people's dancing and whatnot. And the DJ, a white guy, receives a message on his earpiece that tells him, hey, look out for these three. They're coming through. And he sees them. He says into the mic, hey, guys, I got a new song for y'all. And he switches and starts playing this like rhythmic, slow type of song. And everyone in the club starts moving to that rhythm in a creepy way. Okay, movie. Okay. It's like they're zombies. He even says, let the music take control. Do with that what you want. Yo-Yo realizes it's the music and she like rushes them out of there. And then the DJ stops the music and gives the crowd instructions and the crowd comes rushing after them i mean this isn't like a small crowd of people this is a whole swarm of people rushing after them they surround them and then stop they're cornered but the crowd is not attacking then a car pulls up a man gets out it is a manicured clean shaven version clone of fontaine except this one's called chester he don't talk Another man steps out. It's Jack Bauer. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland. They ask if he's the HNIC. Which basically means head dude in charge. He tells them, nope. He's more like mall security over a large mall. He he has a boss to answer to. And he's been called in to kind of clean up the mess that they've created. He informs them that they are part of an experiment for the greater good Mm -hmm. and that they each have their own role to play that without the pimp the drug dealer and the hose there'd be three starbucks in this area by next week Kiefer says that won't work because they need to keep certain specific components in the community to keep their control setting yo this movie right here whoo Kiefer tells them, just do what you do best. Look the other way. Let things go on as they've been going on. Fontaine is like, no, I'm not having this. And he pulls out a gun on him. And Kiefer Sutherland says, Olympia Black. And suddenly, both Fontaine and Slick are frozen. They can't move. So then Yo-Yo pulls out her own gun. She's not a clone. You can't control her, which is true. But then Kiefer makes Fontaine subdue her and put his gun to her head. And here's the coldest part. Kiefer says to her, Fontaine, 
and slick. They're expensive, but you, you're nothing. Hoes come a dime a dozen. Damn. Her and women like her aren't even worth cloning in his eyes. Wow. This movie is a whole trip. Kiefer lets them go and drives off. And the crowd, the minute they drive off, the crowd like snaps out of whatever trance they were in. And they just start walking around like, yo, what? How did we get here? Next day, Yo-Yo goes to Fontaine's house, trying to come up with another plan of how they're going to stop these guys. Fontaine tells her that he's out. He's like, they're everywhere. What can we do? They have control over him. He can't even move if they say a certain word. He's not even real. He says he's nothing but a dope boy. Yo-Yo was like, no, don't let them win. And he questions her like, you know, I saw your room. You had awards. You had certificates. What happened to you? How'd you end up here? She admits to him that she had bigger dreams. She wanted to be a reporter. She wanted to travel. But like most people in this area, she got trapped. And that's why they got to stop it. And Fontaine, you know, he's given up. He's like, no, I'm not about it. So she leaves. And he goes back to the rhythm of his life before this whole thing happened. He's dealing. He's drinking. He's buying scratch-offs where he never wins. But one day he's in the house and he's just, he's just overwhelmed with everything. And he goes down the hall, knocks on his mother's door and asks to come in. And she says, no, I'm all right, baby. I, I'm busy. And he just like gets so frustrated that he breaks down the door. And it's just an empty room with a recorder in it, spitting out the same few phrases. No one's in there. I mean, I thought it was funny from Jump when he knocked on his mother's door and we never cut to and saw a picture of her or anything, but I didn't expect for it to be a recorder. I thought about like, how is it that he has never attempted to go into his mother's room? My sister actually, I'm going to pull it up, sent me um, a comment that someone said online that talked about this aspect and what they feel that they were trying to say in the film. This is from The Shade Room. Wildest Gem says, the clones were just a metaphor, representing generations repeating and perpetrating the same stereotypes that they program us to live out. One thing I noticed nobody talked about was how Fontaine was kicking in his mom's door after her always being in her room, responding to him with the same phrases, representing the lack of interaction and love a lot of these kids get from their parents nowadays. I think Wildest Gem hit the nail on the head with this one. We see Yo-Yo outside you know, like a mailbox slot. She has like a package. She slips it in. And the minute she puts it in, a black SUV truck pulls up, snatches her, and drives off. Yo, these people are watching and watching. Fontaine visits Slick, who hasn't been able to acclimate back to his old life very well either. He doesn't even have his flowers with him. He let them go on some retreat or something. While he's just in his room, not showered, doing some kind of jazzercise exercise or something. They talk and they realize that Yo-Yo was right. They got to do something. So they hit the streets looking for her and find out that she got taken by the people. They got to save her, right? But how? Like these people are watching everything. So the wheels in Slick's head start turning. And he tells Fontaine, I have a plan, but you're not going to like it. Slick's plan is to have Isaac shoot Fontaine so that it looks like he's dead. 
and the people can come collect him and bring him back to the lab. They develop a carrier pigeon system using the girls on the streets. This part is hella funny. The girls are going back between Isaac and Fontaine carrying messengers. They make it look like they're in cars doing street girl things when in reality they're talking. I'm trying to keep this PG-13, guys, so I'm not being very explicit, but it does look funny. I'm also not going to mimic this scene because I already have a mic in front of my mouth. You get the picture. Per the plan, Fontaine visits Isaac. Isaac shoots him and dumps him in the street. The lab dudes come through, scoop him up, and take him back to the underground. Meanwhile, Slick works on getting the cavalry together. I'm talking 20, 30 Cadillacs deep, riding through the neighborhood. Inside the liquor store, the cashier, who was a white man with an afro, is putting stuff away, and he turns, and he sees that his store is full of dudes holding guns. And Slick says, excuse me, my good sir. Can you please direct me to one of them underground elevators y'all got around here? Would you say no? We see Fontaine get out of the body bag in the lab, get inside the control room, and open all the elevators. Immediately, the underground lab is overrun. But all the dudes in the hood coming through and wrecking the place with guns, bats, everything. They go around releasing all the trapped black people and you've got <laughs> the lab techs just running for their lives. Well, trying to. Meanwhile, Yo-Yo is in one of these padded rooms strapped down. She's struggling to get out, you know, cussing them up a storm. So they start rubbing the perm in her hair and massaging it. And pretty soon she stops struggling. They unstrap her, turn around to get things ready. And that's when she gets up and she bum, bum, cracks them over their heads. Then she takes off her wig, y'all. That's why the perm didn't work on her. Nice touch. Honestly, it was pretty satisfying watching them wreck the place and look pretty damn cool doing it. You have my boy Big Moss in the control room on the phone <laughs> talking about some, yeah, yeah, we down here underground. Come through, bring Cheryl and them. Like it's a party. Too funny. Now remember, Fontaine got shot. So he's still, he's still injured. He's walking around and he comes across Chester. Remember the clean shaven clone version of him? They start going at it, but you know, Chester like bodies him, but he doesn't kill him. He brings him instead to the office of the HNIC. Plot twist. It's the original Fontaine who is now an old man. He is the lead Genesis on the project and responsible for the idea behind this whole operation. Okay, Uncle Ruckus, what you got to say? Turns out little boy Ronnie that we saw in the fridge did exist. And it was the original Fontaine's little brother who had gotten, you know, gunned down. This scarred the original Fontaine, who we'll call old Fontaine. This scarred old Fontaine so badly that he decided to make a deal with the devil. His goal was no more Ronnie's. This doesn't need to happen to anybody else. So how does he achieve that? Genetics. He plans on infiltrating the next few generations, turning black people white. We've already seen this version of his work. Every time we saw a white guy with Afro in the movie, that was a former black guy who he had made white. 
a clone, if you will. I told you there was a reason why I was pointing it out. Old Fontaine says assimilation is better than annihilation. If we are the same, we will be at peace. I guess nobody told Old Fontaine uh, how much infighting there was back in the day. The Irish, the Italians, the French, the English, etc. So our Fontaine, the one who we've been following, who has the gunshot wound, says the words Olympia Black. And old Fontaine's like, yo, I'm not a clone. What are you doing? Fontaine says, oh, yeah, I know. But Chester, your boy is. And he has Chester shoot and kill old Fontaine. By now, news vans and reporters are above ground filming the story, seeing the pandemonium, people all over the place. You've got naked clones walking around because, you know, they freed all the clones that were in the tubes. You know, people from the hood of all walks of life are helping each other, helping the clones. Some of these interviews were hilarious, yo. You guys got to watch. Fontaine, Slick, and Yo-Yo reunite, celebrating the triumph over bringing down the system that has been oppressing them specifically in their area. They decide to join Yo-Yo and all move to Memphis. Happy ending for them. Then we cut to Fontaine waking up in his room. Except this room's a little different. His hair is braided into two plaits. He's got face tattoos. He's wearing a blue plaid shirt. He knocks on his mother's door in the hallway to see if she wants anything from the store. She calls back from behind the door that she's good. We see him walking outside, palm trees. He's in Compton, clearly driving around in a Cadillac. He goes to the liquor store. He buys a 40 and a scratch off that doesn't win. This is sounding very, very familiar. So he's back at his place, smoking with his crew, watching TV, watching the news, watching what's happening right now. We just saw on the news with the clone people walking around and the, and, and, and the people in doing interviews. And then the camera shows a man with wild hair and a you know, scratchy beard. It's his clone. His crew looks at the TV and then looks at him and says, ain't that you, Tyrone? <gasps> Erica Badu's voice comes on, the screen goes to black, and we hear, you better call Tyrone. Call him. Roll credits. Y'all were waiting to see why it's called they clone Tyrone. I guess they clone Fontaine just didn't hit it right. Final thoughts. The writing was smart, creative, intuitive, they explored multiple conspiracy theories and sprinkled in a couple confirmed theories. If you want to affect a community, you hit them where they live. You influence what they eat, what they hear, what they see, and you infiltrate it. This entire movie could be a college course. Parodies and comedies are a great way to get a point across to an audience while entertaining them. I highly recommend this movie. Five stars. If you enjoyed hanging out with me, hit that like button, subscribe, leave a comment. I know I didn't cover everything. There was just too much to cover. Tell me what I missed. What did you get out the movie? I'd love to chat about it. I want to hear from you. Later.